0: You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. Tell someone the title of my sermon this morning: "How to Discern the Truth of God." How to discern the truth of God? So, just once again. Uh, Right after church, there is the women's ministry event um, that's happening. So hopefully, you ladies have signed up for that. I'm going to be attending uh, that event again. We're uh, for this for this event and next week's event, the the men's ministry. We're looking at the biblical um, definition of manhood and womanhood, and uh, hopefully, we'll we'll uh, be edified by these events and this ministry. So. Please sign up for that, Uh, guys. Sign up for next week if you haven't already. We're going to be doing a lot of manly things like hunting, or I I don't know. No, there's no hunting involved, but uh, we're we're going to dive into God's word for that. In addition, uh, Sister Precious had mentioned it, but we do have these Easter invite cards. Uh, at the back, uh, the, the production team did print out. Please grab a few and give them out to your friends, your uh, family, uh, coworkers, whoever God leads you to give these out and invite to the actual uh, Easter event. Again, the Easter event is one of our biggest events here at Plus Life, a big evangelistic one where the gospel is preached and proclaimed. And, of course, we're celebrating the resurrection of our Savior, that day. That weekend as well. So, again, pick up some of these cards, give them out to friends and family. They're going to be at the back after service. Now, we've been jumping back into our Gospel of John series, and we're back in chapter seven. And as we've been studying for the past few weeks now, if you, have, if you haven't joined us, you can follow all the, the podcasts and the sermons online. Uh, But we've been looking at the beginning parts of chapter 7 and how John is demonstrating how Jesus is so in sync with the Father's will. In fact, Jesus' will and the Father's will were very much one. If you remember, John's thesis for his entire gospel, the entire gospel of John, is found in John chapter 20, verse 31. We read this every week. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, meaning the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. And part of what it means that he is the son of God, it means that he is equal to God in nature, in power, in authority, and as we've been seeing in will as well. So uh, John demonstrates by the, these, first path, these, these first parts of uh, chapter 7 how, how much in sync Jesus was with the will of God. Remember, it was the Feast of Booths. His brothers were saying, come down to to Judea, to Jerusalem with them so that he can display his miracles, to show his power. But Jesus said it wasn't his time yet. And a moment after uh, his brothers had left for that festival, Jesus then himself goes down. He didn't leave Galilee sooner or he didn't leave it later. He left it exactly on God's timing. And there's good reason for that. Again, as mentioned, it was a Feast of Booths. There was crowds, masses coming to Jerusalem for that festival. And his brothers wanted him to display his power there, to, to be that political messiah, to, to garner that, that, that support from the people. But that wasn't his time yet. That wasn't Jesus' purpose for his, his journey to Judea, to Jerusalem. Again, he was, he was a talk of the, the town. He would have caused a scene if, if he had gone to Jerusalem early. And, and even the, the religious leaders, the Jews, as John calls them, they were looking to kill him for what happened in chapter 5. So if Jesus had gone down early, it would have been lots of trouble. Uh, some scholars, once again, were saying, that it, they would have ushered in the triumphal entry sooner than what was the allotted time for Jesus to go down there. So instead of Jesus going down when the brothers had, had, had invited him to come down with them, he goes in private. So that for the specific purpose of teaching in the temple, as we read at the beginning of our passage this morning. That was his reason, that was his purpose. Um, And that's where we left off last week, and we've been studying sort of these lessons on how to wait and how to act on God's time. Now, sort of continuing in that theme, we're we're looking at this morning how to discern the truth of God. Remember, Jesus came down to Jerusalem to specifically teach the people. That was his purpose. The people were, were marveling at his teaching to the point where they were even questioning in our passage, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied. They were, they were astonished by Jesus' teachings, but not in the sense of worship. They weren't astonished because cause, cause they said, wow, this, this, this man's teachings were, were, was amazing, but rather, whose authority is this man speaking from? And we see that because that's how Jesus concludes this whole passage. Do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. There is a sense where these people were trying to discern Trying to determine for themselves what, whether or not what Jesus was teaching was true. And again, it was heavily implied that these people did not know what to make of Jesus. Because if you remember in verse 12, the people had not made up their mind. It says in verse 12, and there was much muttering about him among the people while some said he is a good man. Others said, no, he is leading the people astray. So what follows in between verse 14 to the end of our passage, verse 24, is Jesus clarifying for the people, teaching the people by which standard they need to discern or how to discern or how to tell apart between what is truth and what is false. And so our hope for us this morning is to, as we unpack our passage, is to really learn from the Savior how to discern what is the truth of God. To learn to navigate what the will of God is for our lives, for our church, for our community, what it, or versus what is the will of man, or even what our own will is. Because as you know, the world is filled with so-called truths, many truths, and many opinions. Truth, truth has really become subjective, relative in our day and age, right? It's all about my truth, right? My truth and my truth. And everybody's opinions seem to be valid nowadays, and, of course, that makes it difficult to discern between what is truth and what is lie, what is uh, what is objective and what is subjective. And it's hard to discern even the lessons that we've been learning in the previous weeks of how to wait on God's timing and what is God's timing, what is God's will, when there's so many other opinions and other truths and other people saying things of what whatever God's will is in this day and age. And so our hope is, our hope in, in, in the mix of all of it, our hope in this day and age is that there is objective truth. There is objective truth. Truth is not relative. It's not, it's not based on our feelings. Our hope is to learn this morning how to discern then what the truth of God is. So that we would be equipped to be able to wade through the, the sea of, of lies and uh, misinformation and opinions and all the half-truths out there in the world. So, let's jump into our passage and unpack this for us, uh, so that we can learn how to discern the truth of God. Everyone say, for the first time, actually, in 2023, everyone say, jump for me. Amen. So, let's review this passage with us. Uh, Let's go to verse 14. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. Again, this this was his main purpose as to why he was going down to Jerusalem. It wasn't to perform miracles, right? Jesus was a Jewish rabbi, and his main ministry was to disciple people, to teach people, not just perform miracles. All of that, of course, he did, but his main purpose here was to teach the people. Now, in verse 15, it says, the Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? If you remember the story of Jesus when he was a boy, and his family had gone up to Jerusalem, when he was just about a boy, and then his family ended up leaving him in Jerusalem, right? So parents, if you ever left your kids somewhere by accident, don't worry, you're in good company. Mary and Joseph in the Bible did it as well. Uh, but, but here was Jesus in, as a little boy in the temple, and in Luke chapter 2, verse 47, it says, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answer. So this, ver- this verse 15 is very much a callback to that. Now, in the tradition of disciple and rabbi in ancient Jewish society, if you remember, we've talked about this in the past, but a rabbi would take on disciples and teach every single doctrine, every practice, every, every, even the way that they ate and moved to their disciples. And the people were amazed at Jesus because they were seeing that he did not have a formal training or a formal, formal training from uh, some sort of rabbinical tradition. Right? He wasn't referring to any rabbis in his teaching. In fact, when you read through the Gospels, all the Gospels, whenever Jesus teaches, he doesn't say, um, as Rabbi Halil said in this passage of text, that we must do it this way, or, or, or some sort of uh, reference to the other rabbis of his day. In fact, that's what most of the teachers in Jesus', did, Jesus day did. They always referred to their teacher, their rabbi. But the, again, these people were amazed because Jesus was not doing this. In verse 16, he goes on to say, So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but, he, but his who sent me. Jesus once again clarifies his authority that his teaching is not coming from man or is coming from a, a, a rabbi's teaching or, or, or text. It's coming straight from God. Now this, already, now this parallels to chapter 5, if you, already, if you remember that chapter that we studied uh, well a couple of years back now, I guess. It's meant to draw attention back to that chapter where Jesus says in uh, John chapter 5, verse 19, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise and in verse 30 he says i can do nothing on my own as i hear i judge and my judgment is just because i seek not my own will but the will of him who sent me jesus is once again discussing his authority as a son of god how he is equal to god in authority in power in will as we've been discussing as john is trying to portray him as in this in this chapter Uh, again his his uh, his authority and his teaching comes from God, not from some famous rabbi, not from some teaching of man. Now, from this, from just from this, these few verses, we get our first litmus test, so to speak, of how to test whether something is truth or is the truth of God. So, how, how do we discern the truth of God first and foremost? Discern between the teachings of God or the traditions of man. Discern between the teachings of God or the traditions of man. Again, Jesus says, my teaching is not mine. It's not some rabbis. It's not some passed down tradition from some Jewish text. It's from him who sent me. It's from God himself. Jesus was not just regurgitating some old rabbinical teachings or traditions, but rather the truths of God. And this is where we can apply this into our own life when discerning what is truth what, what is the truth in our faith or in practice, simply ask, is this a teaching from God or is this a tradition of man? Is this a teaching from God? Meaning, is it from scripture? Is it from tested and tried and true uh, passages from the word of God? Or is it from sound doctrine, from sound teachers? Or is this truth from a tradition of man, a practice, a, a way of thinking, a, an opinion that has been passed on from generation to generation as human custom. Now this is important, something very important to note when we're, when we're discussing this point is that not all traditions are necessarily bad. right? We don't, we don't do away with all traditions just because we, we want to stick to the teachings of God. And oftentimes that is our mindset, right, as, as people of the Word. We, we, we say, all the traditions are bad. We stick only to the teachings of the Word of God. Well, that's not necessarily true. For example, you know, a lot of our brothers and sisters here in the room are from the Indian culture and the, the Indian tradition. And in that culture, we know that, that parents are, are heavily involved when it comes to choosing their kid's spouse, right, right? We call it arranged marriages in, in some sense. And um, God's Word does not explicitly say or command that parents are responsible of, of, of setting up their child with a spouse. Though it gives examples of it, but at the same time, that tradition of having parents involved in who you are to marry is very much in line with the values of God's Word, God's command to honor your, your father and, and mother. Because you honor your father and mother when you value their opinion about who you're going to marry. So certainly that tradition is not meant to be thrown out. It's not a bad tradition. Or how about this, right? Another tradition that we commonly practice in modern day Christendom is right, church on Sunday. Church plus life. You know, are we more superior to other churches who worship on Sunday because we worship on the Sabbath? Yes or no? I mean, nowhere in the Bible, right, says that people have to, have, have that, nowhere in the Bible says that the Christians have to worship on Sunday. That's man's tradition, right? We had plus life worship on Saturday. <laughs> here, here. Well, you know, that tradition of worshiping on Sunday it was, it was started by the early church. It was cultivated to commemorate the day that our Lord rose from the grave. It was to celebrate every week that moment in human history where the Savior rose from the grave. And that's why the church moved their Sabbath to the Sunday so that we can worship together on that day. So, so not all traditions of man is, is bad. Traditions are often there to communicate biblical principles and truths or, or communic- communicate biblical realities. It's when traditions supersede the truth The teachings of God, the revealed truth of God, that's when we come across problems. That's when we have a problem. Even more so, when when traditions of man contradict teachings and the truths of God, or take preeminence over the gospel. And, And... I was reading this past week in, in the book of Col- uh, Colossians and, and Paul, after reminding the, the church of Colossi of the gospel and the triumph that we have in Christ and, and, and justification through faith and through, through the finished work of Christ. He then says in Colossians chapter 2, he says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Believers at Colossae were being judged for not practicing Jewish traditions and festivities. But Paul says those traditions pale pale in comparison to Christ himself. They're meant to point to Christ, but not supersede. Traditions often show up a lot in churches, especially when we consider denominations. That's essentially what a denomination is. It's a church tradition that's been passed on uh, through various churches. And so churches can get into a lot of trouble when traditions take precedence over the gospel. And we see this a lot in Orthodox churches and in Catholic churches, where traditions and teachings of man that have been passed on from generation to generation supersede or even take precedence over the revealed truth of God, over the Word of God. Again, traditions are are meant to point to Christ, not replace Him. When traditions become the substance of our faith, rather than a supplement to it, that's when we know we've wandered from the truth. Again, a good question to ask when you're discerning what is the truth of God, is to simply ask, is this a teaching from God, or is this a tradition of man? The teaching of God always takes precedence, always takes preeminence. So let's go to verse 17 of our passage now. Jesus says, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking of my own authority. What Jesus is referring to here is that there is a level in which God's will is self-authenticating through the teaching of the Holy Spirit. Anybody who's in the Father's will, generally speaking, someone who has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, has the Holy Spirit, Jesus will understand that what Jesus is teaching is actually from God, That is, it is the truth of God. Jesus later says in John chapter 16, verse 13, he says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit, therefore, after or before conversion, is what authenticates and confirms with us what the truth of God's are, what is truly a teaching of God. And I think it's important to note, the Holy Spirit will never, and I say never, contradict the revealed Word of God, the Bible. Why? Well, because the Bible is God-breathed. It's the actual words of God. It was inspired, it was empowered by the Holy Spirit in men to write down and pen the words of God. For, For the Spirit to contradict Scripture means that the Spirit is contradicting Himself, which is not the Holy Spirit. Again, as we just read in John chapter 16, that he is the spirit of truth. He's not the spirit of contradictions or half-truths or changing opinions or lies. In Titus, it even says that God cannot lie. So for the spirit to contradict the word of God, it would it would mean that, well, maybe he made a mistake, or maybe that maybe the new truth is is what is is the real truth and what is in the scriptures possibly incorrect. Now why am I saying all of this? Well, you know, we have again as we mentioned denominations and 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 traditions in the church that heavily rely on the holy spirit's giftings and I am all for utilizing spiritual gifts, right? We're we're far here at plus life we're we're far from being cessationists, right? And I, me, myself, personally, I have been the benefactor and the both the, the the beneficiary of sort of the spontaneous word from the Spirit and 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 sort of that gifting. And so there is a lot of red flags when the when that special word that is given contradicts the the revealed word of God. Again, the Holy Spirit will never contradict himself. So, if, for example, if ever you hear a brother or a sister say, you know, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. and Here's the here's a great, the, the, the word from the Spirit, right? The, the, the special word from the Spirit is that, you know, go date an unbeliever. Or, and, or that here, here this is the Holy Spirit said that yes, you can go move in with your, 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 your boyfriend or girlfriend and have premarital sex and support a sinful lifestyle and worship God in nature and, and through pagan practices. Like, that has more red flags than the Beijing Olympics, right? It's like, oh my goodness. The Holy Spirit will never, again, contradict Himself. Never contradict the revealed Word of God. Never tell you, to sin but then you know you hear all the time don't put the holy spirit in a box man right but listen it's the holy spirit who wrote the box who made the box which is the word of god he would never again contradict the revealed word of god because the holy spirit is a spirit of truth not lies not disorder not chaos he is a spirit of clarity and not confusion and again, all of that to say in verse 17, the Holy Spirit, the revealed Word of God or how to discern what is the will of God has a level of self-authentication via the Holy Spirit who confirms with our, with our spirit what is truly the Word of God or what is the will of God. To know that Christ's teaching is, is true, again, via the Holy Spirit. Now in verse 18, Jesus continues... The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. See, Jesus contrasts those who seek personal glory now versus those who seek the glory of the sender or the the one who gives the message, which in this case is God himself, the one who seeks God's glory. So, And again, he says that the one who is seeking the glory of God is the one who is speaking the truth, the one who isn't speaking falsehood. Now, in ancient times, I guess in the context of ancient times, there were many messiahs in Jesus' day. Many teachers, many rabbis, many uh, revolutionary uh, leaders who, who came declaring themselves as the messiah, but all seeking their own glory. We read this well we read about this in in uh, the ancient historian Josephus that there is many like Jesus who was claimed to be the Messiah but again all of them were seeking their own kingdom their own power their own popularity their own following and here is Jesus in verse 18 distinguishing between the two those who seek God's glory and those who seek personal glory so now coupled with verse 17 what Jesus says about personal will or personal or, or Rather, a a litmus test on on how to discern what is the will of God, what is true, is this. How to discern the truth of God is to distinguish between God's will or your will. How to distinguish between God's will or or your will. Again, a simple application to this is simply test, distinguish whether or not what you're committing to, whatever decision that you're, 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 you're making is in line with God's will or your own will. And the way that you can test that is ask, who will be glorified? Does whatever act or decision or truth that you are following bring glory to God? Or does it bring you glory, bring you praise? Does it elevate you? Does it benefit God's kingdom or yours? Does it proclaim God's name or yours? It's why verse 17 is so important to this context because, again, it's, it's the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, if anyone who's, whose will is to do God's will, if someone who's in the will of God and someone being led by the Holy Spirit, that's necessary to discern whether or not what we are pursuing is really our will or whether it's God's will. And we oftentimes can confuse the two. You know, listen, our, it, our, our minds and our hearts, even our own will, is not enough to, de- to be a determining factor of what is the truth of God, or what is the will of God. I mean, Scripture has it, it it's all over in Scripture, right? How, how can we trust our thoughts, for example, when the Bible calls us to renew our mind, to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds, how can we trust our heart when, when the Bible says that our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick? Who can understand it? How could we trust our own will when the Bible clearly states that apart from God, our will is to carry out the desires of the flesh? In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct them, but we have the mind of Christ. It's why it's, why it's so important to be in prayer, to be in the Word, to be walking step with the Spirit. That's the only way for our hearts and our minds, for our will to be reformed, for us to have the mind of Christ, as Paul says. Because apart from that, again, it, it is completely, we are unable to distinguish the will of God. Between the will of God and what is deceitful and what is corrupt. Or the will of our flesh or the will of the world. You know, some, some good advice that I, I think I've, I've learned the hard way throughout the years is never make a decision in sin. Never make a decision in sin. While you are in the thrones of sin, while you are in the pits of shame and regret, don't make a life-altering decision in sin. Wait on the Lord first. Get your heart right. Get your mind right. Delight in Him first. You know that famous Psalm uh, Psalm passage in Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. oftentimes we think that that psalm is a promise of of trade. If I delight in the things of God, if I delight in the Lord, then God will give me the desires of my heart. That house I always wanted, that car I always wanted, that family I've been praying for. But that passage is not a promise of trade. It's a promise of transfer. As we delight in the Lord, in His Word, in prayer, in His Spirit, God takes our desires and replaces it with His own. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. And it's why, it's why verse 5 in that same passage is, is very important for context, because it says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. That, that, that act of committing yourself to the Lord is surrendering to the will of God. It's saying, God, even if you don't give me this, Lord... Have your way, have your will in my life. So it's very important, very, very important. Again, never make a decision when you're in sin. Make sure that if ever you're making a decision, that you are in the will of God, that you're in the word of God, that you're in communion with the Lord in order to be able to really discern whether or not something is of the truth of God. The distinction between God's will and your will or, or the will of the world. Now, let's go to verse 19. We get some interesting passages here. Has not Moses given you the law? Jesus is referring back to the Old Testament here. Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? Now, Jesus starts pointing out the hypocrisy of the Jews in our, in, that he's speaking to in our passage. He says in verse 20, now it says in verse 20, The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? The people think that Jesus is crazy when confronted with their hypocrisy. Uh, of course, Jesus was not crazy because we read in verse 13 that the, Jew, the, the people, rather, the crowd, were in fact fearful of the Jews and therefore they never uh, spoke openly about Jesus. The Jews knew that there would be persecution at hand from the religious authorities if anyone were to associate themselves with Christ. And so so Jesus wasn't crazy. He was telling the truth. And these guys were in denial. Verse 21, it says, Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marveled at it. This is referring to chapter 5, the healing of the paralytic man at the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath day. And of course, now Jesus begins to point out to sort of the illogical and inconsistent interpretation of God's word that the Jews had and he uses the example of circumcision to, to reinforce this, uh, th- this, this hypocrisy that these Jews were portraying. In verse 22, he says, Moses gave you circumcision, not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. Jesus saying that the circumcision was given before the law. It was given to Abraham as a, as a sign of the covenant that he made with God, a sign of God's faithfulness. Jesus points out how in Jewish customs and traditions, you would practice circumcision even if it fell on the Sabbath because that was in line with the will of God. That was in line with the Word of God. So if a a male child was born on the Sabbath, eight days later, according to the Jewish text, they were to be circumcised on the following Sabbath. And if you were to circumcise a child on the Sabbath, it would not break any Sabbath laws. Again, verse 23 explains this. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because of the, on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? And so Jesus, again, he's pointing out the hypocrisy. He's saying, he's saying, if it's okay to practice circumcision, that ceremonial cleansing, that sign of God's covenant and faithfulness on the Sabbath, and you consider it as not breaking sabbatical laws then why is it that you are trying to kill me for cleansing a man of his, his ailment, for healing the man, for displaying God's faithfulness via healing him entirely on the Sabbath? Why are you persecuting me for that? There's hypocrisy there. The way that the Jews were interpreting the, the law of Moses and, and the customs there, there was, it was inconsistent. Jesus was pointing out that though they had God's word, they did not follow it, or that they mishandled or misinterpreted to fit their personal agendas or their preferences and biases. Again, this is why Jesus concludes in verse 24 do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. Appearance being the traditions dictated by the rabbis and the Pharisees, or what society said. Don't judge by that, those standards. And so here's our, our final ultimate. Litmus test, so to speak. How to discern the truth of God. Defer to the word of God, not the ways of man. Defer to the word of God, not the ways of man. At the end of the day, our highest authority on faith and practice is, is the Bible. Sola Scriptura. The Bible is sufficient to teach us. It is the highest uh, authority in, which, in, in where we learn faith and practice from. And as I always say, the sola scriptura doesn't mean that we don't listen to pastors or read commentaries or listen to sound doctrine from sound teachers and podcasts and uh, all that supplement. And at the end of the day, though, we must always, always check back to the Word of God. Our example of this in Scripture is the Berean Christians. Who after hearing from Paul, all the the teachings of Paul, it says in Acts 17 that they they received with all eagerness the words of Paul, examining the scriptures daily to see if things were so. They went back and lined it up with God's word. Scripture is the only perfect, the only standard for spiritual truth that we have in this earth. And therefore must be our highest authority. Not the word... uh, uh, not the word of some man. Not the traditions of, uh, of a denomination. It is the word of God. That is the only perfect standard that we have for spiritual truth. Now again, not that, not that we can't trust man's word, but as uh, for the reasons that we've already stated about how the heart is deceitful, how the passions of the flesh, the will of the flesh, is, is to pursue the things of the flesh, and the mind needs to be renewing. Because of that, we can't fully rely on man. That's why, you know, I always cringe at the thought of, of some church traditions that say, you know, touch not the Lord's anointed. You, know, you can't criticize whatever the, the pastor teaches or does. Or even in, in, in Catholic traditions, right? The, the opinions of the Vatican and the Pope supersedes even Scripture itself. Like, like we have a hundred years Hundreds of years' worth of data and recorded history to show how corruption and deceitfulness the church can be at times. Leaders from churches can be at times, how they too can fall at times. Like, why fully relying on the word of man doesn't work? It's like, fool me once, shame on uh, me, but fool me hundreds of years. Shame on somebody, right? A couple of centuries Again, this is the importance of being in God. This is why it's so important to be in God's Word. Why it's important for you to search Scripture yourself. Why we give reverence to the reading of God's Word here at Plus Live. Why we encourage everyone to bring their Bible. And hopefully you do that. So that as we're studying, as we're looking through it, you can see for yourselves, you can follow along to test if what I'm saying is really in line with the Word of God. The Bible says in Isaiah 40, verse 8, that the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Jesus echoes this in the Gospels. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but the, but the word of God will, never will. When all of this is said and done, when, when preachers retire, when, when sermons fade from memory, the word of God will remain. This is why we must turn to the Word of God as our ultimate, as our highest authority. So, if you wanted to know or how to discern the truth of God, discern between the teachings of God or the traditions of man. Distinguish between God's will or your will. Defer to the Word of God and not the ways of man. Uh, by way of invitation, for those who who may not be in Christ or new to the church and new to everything that we're talking about this morning, and you want to know the will of God for your life. You want to, as our passage was saying in verse 17, if anyone's will is is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. If it's your desire to be in the will of God to know what God's plans and purposes are for your life, Jesus is very clear as to what the will of God is for you this morning. He says in John chapter 6 verse 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father. You want to know what the will of God is for you? Here it is. For this is the will of my Father. That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. If you are not in Christ, if you are seeking the purposes and plans for God in your life, it has to start here. It has to start with a relationship with God. It has to start with, as, as Jesus says, for this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son meaning casting your eyes, mean casting your entire life towards him and believes in him should have eternal life. That's what we call everyone to do, to turn from sinful ways, repent, and put their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. To believe that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was sufficient for the payment of our sins so that we can have access, so that we can have a relationship with the Father. you must turn to Christ believe that he is the spotless lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world that he is the son of god and now for believers for believers here's an invitation for us if you're seeking the will of god if you're looking for the truth of god in your life the purposes of god in your life in the midst of the the, the many voices and the sea of opinions in the world as as we mentioned last week from that illustration that we did, right? Proximity determines clarity. Proximity, you know, I'm getting old and I need to wear my glasses all the time. And sometimes I can get away with it, but unless I get something up close, then I can't see it. I can't read it. And it's the same same principle there. Proximity determines clarity. Are you in the Word of God? Are you in prayer with God? Are you in communion with the Lord? Because that's the only way. You're you're closest with God in your fellowship, in your walk with Him. That's the only truly way that you can truly discern or determine what is the will of God for your life. You cannot, you cannot expect to know the will of God for your life if you're not in the Word, if you're not in prayer, if you're not fellowshipping with the Lord throughout the week. If your time with the Lord is only on weekends... In the short amount of time that we have together, you must be in the Word of God to, to have that clarity. Again, Colossians in, in Colossians chapter three, I, I was reading this this past week. Again, it, Paul calls calls believers to set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things of the earth. That's how we truly, truly be can, can clarify and know what the will and the truth of God is. Only then, only when we are on a daily basis spending time with the Lord, allowing the Spirit to renew our minds and our hearts and our will on a daily basis, only then can we hope to discern the glorious mysteries of our God. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God and Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we could be in your word and hear from your spirit as we've been talking about. Lord, you know those who are listening to my voice and who are desiring after your will for their lives, for your purposes, for your truth in their lives. You know, Lord God, all the many other voices that come to mind and try to sway us away from you. And it becomes difficult, difficult to discern what is your will, your truth. But thank you, God, that you have given us your complete word, your complete word in the Bible. Thank you that you you have given us your spirit, your spirit of truth to help us discern So I pray by your grace and by your help. Renew our minds, oh God, in your word, in your truth. Renew our hearts so that we are not deceived by them. And so that our desires would be in line with your desires. So that our will would be in line with yours. Just as the Savior's will was. So that God, regardless of how many voices we hear, regardless of what trials we might experience, the difficulties that we might face in this life, that your voice, your voice, oh God, would be so clear in our hearts and our minds, that we would truly be the sheep of the great shepherd who hears and knows our shepherd's voice and follows you wherever you go. Father, I I pray for the hearts who are desperately seeking to hear from you about a a situation or a circumstance. I pray for the hearts that are breaking in desperation because they, they want their relationship with you to be renewed, to be refreshed. I pray that today would be that day where they would receive a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit. To know and discern once again your will and purposes for their lives. To know once again, oh God, your your perfect plan for them. I pray, oh God, that you'd bring healing. I pray, oh God, that you'd bring truth to wherever there is lies, wherever we have believed the lies of the enemy or the falsehoods of man that your truth would shine forth in our hearts and our minds. That we would be founded and grounded in your truth, in your word this morning about what you say we are, about who you say we are, oh Lord, our identity in Christ. That we would be reminded, oh God, of the glorious truths of our salvation. That we have Eternity secured in you, in you alone, Lord Jesus. And I pray that we would take these truths and live lives worthy of the gospel. Live lives that are in step with your spirit. That we would be like the Savior who was so in sync with your will. That we would be like the Savior in every aspect of our lives. Thank you, O oh Lord, that you have heard our prayers and we surrender ourselves to you. In Jesus' your mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.